Good morning, everyone. Good to see you be together. This morning, we're going to bring our study of Ecclesiastes to a close. It's uh, certainly been a challenging study, but I hope that it's been valuable along the way. You know, I, I believe that sometimes the, the greatest treasures are the ones you have to lo- the work for, you know, kind of like that diamond hidden deep inside the rock. It takes a little more time, but it's really worth it when you put in the effort. I think that's been true for Ecclesiastes. In many ways, Solomon has kind of taken us on a journey, not unlike a, a trek in the wilderness. There were moments when it was kind of hard to see where we were going. The climb seemed really steep. The, the trees felt really dense. And then we would kind of open up into a vista, and we would see a little more clearly what Solomon had in mind. It was a journey that was both challenging and rewarding, but hopefully in the end, it was worthwhile. And the reason it's worthwhile is because all along the way, as we work through Ecclesiastes, there were truths that we discovered that have the power to transform our lives. And this morning, we're going to finally reach the summit. We're going to get to the top. From here, we're going to gain a perspective that that Solomon has been leading us to all along. From here, we encounter the primary truth that Solomon wants us to see. He wants us to fix our eyes on the infinite wisdom of God. And this is a truth that we don't want to miss. We want to see clearly what Solomon has had in mind all along. So before we open up the word together, let's ask the Lord to help us see that truth. Lord, as we come uh, this morning before you and open up your word that you have spoken into our lives, we know from our own experience how easy it is to be distracted from eternal truths. We live in a world of distraction. We live in a world filled with deception. And so for a moment this morning, as we finish up this study of Ecclesiastes, would you give us clear vision, clear eyes, clear hearts, clear ears to to hear and to see and to know the truth that you want us to understand. As we climb to the top of this mountain that that Solomon has been leading us to, would you help us see what he's had in mind all along? That's our prayer, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. If you would turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, final chapter, and if you would begin reading with me in verse 8. Solomon says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. It's not uh, unusual to see here that Solomon is going to begin this book in the very same, or end this book in the same way that he began. But I hope that when you hear that statement this morning, you hear it very differently than you did in the beginning. Because in the beginning, I don't know about you, but at least for me, it seems as if Solomon was suggesting that all of life is meaningless. And in the absence of meaning, you can just basically do whatever you want. So eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But as we followed Solomon's teaching, we could see that Solomon was ultimately making a distinction. A distinction between a worldly perspective, which he identified as life under the sun, and a heavenly perspective. 
He did it by discussing some of the very same subjects from two different angles, two different perspectives. Let me give you an example. He said, for example, what advantage does man have in all his work, and here's the context, under the sun? He says that all the work under the sun is painful. It's grievous. He even lamented the day that he would have to hand down to someone else all that he had worked for all of his life with no guarantee that that person would do good or do harm because he had no control over what decisions they would make. The reward was limited to life under the sun. And no one could take what they worked hard for all their life beyond the grave. The vanity of work was the temporary benefit of a lifelong pursuit. But then Solomon took that same subject and turned his attention towards God. And he said, in that context, there's nothing better for man than to eat and drink and see that his labor is good. He said he should rejoice in doing good and and see that his labor is a gift from God. Vanity is replaced with purpose. When we view our work as, as a blessing, not as a curse. When we see it as an opportunity to contribute and not simply a means to acquire. That's the difference between seeing that same topic from a worldly perspective under the sun and a heavenly point of view. He does the same thing with pleasure when he says, I did not withhold anything from my, that my heart desires, from any pleasure. All my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. But in the end, he said, it's vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. There was no profit in the pleasure of selfish pursuits. But once again, he turned his heart towards God. He quit trying to control the outcomes. He he put his trust in, in God's sovereign control. And within that context, he then was able to say, but it's God who makes all things beautiful in its time. Instead of trying to manipulate life for his own good, Solomon put his trust in God's infinite wisdom. He realized that his heart would not be satisfied by the pleasures of this world. Instead, as he learned, they only left him longing for something more. And here's why. He was created for something more. Solomon said that that God has put eternity in. In our hearts, that we were made to live in a life giving relationship with God. And what is true of Solomon is equally true of you and I. You see, everything is vanity only when we try to live our life apart from the one who gives us life. Let me say that again because that is at the heart of Ecclesiastes. Everything is vanity. Only when we try to live our life apart from the one who gives us life. Meaningless pursuits distract us from a life filled with purpose. Vanity in this world is ultimately an invitation to find life in God. Learning to rely on His infinite wisdom. 
trusting in his faithful love, depending on his never-ending grace. The psalmist had this in mind in Psalm 1611 when he says, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence are, is the fullness of joy. And in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist is looking beyond the limits of life in this world and he's finding life in God. The psalmist goes on at the end of uh, Psalm 23 and he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is someone who understands life from a heavenly perspective. And that's where Solomon wants us all to go. That's where the infinite wisdom is found. Turn to verse 9. Solomon goes on, he says, In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. And he pondered and searched out and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words, to write words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They, these words of wisdom, are given by one shepherd. I love what Solomon says here, because as your pastor, this is my desire. Solomon says that he taught the people by, by pondering, by searching, by carefully arranging words. He wanted to speak the truth correctly and effectively. So if you're wondering, hey, what does Todd do all during the week? Right here. I ponder. I search. Consider how to speak in a way that communicates the truths of God. And that's important because that's what Solomon is saying here. Look again at the end of verse 11. They, these words of wisdom, and the reason that Solomon is working so hard, the reason that they have power within them is because... They are given by one shepherd. See, the wisdom of Solomon is not his own. It comes from God, the one true shepherd. Solomon's goal, my goal, is to speak God's truth, not my opinion. Because God's truth is the only truth that has the power to transform lives. In some cases, uh, Solomon says that that truth is like a goad. Okay, a goad was like a, a sharp stick that they would use to poke livestock to get them moving when they didn't want to move. Today, we might use a cattle prod, right? But the idea is it's trying to motivate them to move in a direction that they're unwilling to go. And sometimes God's word can do that to us, right? Uh, Paul, or Luke, speaks in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, uses that same word in a New Testament context. I want you to listen to it. It says, now when they heard this, they were, and here's the word, pierced to their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? The truth of God is a goad. It, it pierces to the heart. It brings conviction to our lives. It provokes us to move in places where we're otherwise stubborn. It exposes our sin. It invites us to walk in obedience. Sometimes God's word is like a goad. In other times, Solomon says it's like a well-driven nail. See, that is a, a truth of God that brings security in the midst of uncertainty. 
It holds us steady like a, like a well-driven nail. When life feels out of control, the truth of God is ultimately an anchor to our soul. And I pray, I, I really do pray sincerely that as we've gone through Ecclesiastes, you've found both of those things to be true. That, that at times it was challenging. It provoked, it prompted, it convicted. Other times it was affirming, it was assuring, it was settling when we were troubled. And I hope that you found both of those things to be true. This morning I've asked a couple of people to share how that has been true for them. So I would like to ask Dr. Friedman to come up first and share how God has used Ecclesiastes in one or both of those ways. So, Dr. Friedman. Hi, Ken Friedman. We're relatively new to your body, but we really have been blessed by this study. You know, when I first uh, read Ecclesiastes, when I was first really exposed to the Bible, it really resonated with me because I, you know, I thought about it that, you know, life is meaningless without God. I, I saw that message in it, you know, that life, you know, basically has no meaning without God. But still, I struggled because I would read passages in there like, you know, the, both the wise and the foolish die. And I just thought, well, okay, is this a book of wisdom? I mean, Solomon had just written Proverbs, and then he's writing all this wisdom in here, and yet he, he's saying the wise and the foolish die. But it's this dichotomy that was described that really I hadn't fully grasped that, yes, even the wise die. You know, in this world, there are a lot of wise men you know, people might think wisdom is just a list of principles and rules and precepts, but that's not it only. And, and that's what we heard also here that helped me was that wisdom comes from a relationship. The wisdom that's from above is through a relationship with him. And so that all of a sudden the, the distinction became clear. And, the, and also, the, you know, the, the verse that we hear several times in Proverbs, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it begins. When you have a relationship, a proper relationship with him, then th this wisdom becomes apparent. So it really helped me to see that dichotomy, and I appreciate it. Hello, I'm Godfrey Christoph, and uh, I've been coming to Melanie Park for quite some time. I was uh, born in New Orleans and raised by a godly family, a grandmother and a grandfather. Just had one on each side, and a mother and a father who loved the Lord. And I came out to West Texas a while back, and, you know, I came from Louisiana, didn't know too much about God, but I had gave the Lord my life. And I, because of the words of my grandparents and my mother and my father, and I came out to West Texas and went to Texas Tech and became a member of Melanie Park Church. And even though in the embryonic state it was in Louisiana, but I was nurtured here at Melanie Park. You know, I've met many friends, you know. I've, I've been around for quite some time, you know. I, some of the young people might say I'm a dinosaur, but, but you know, 
I've made friends, you know, like the Hardys, you know, both sets, Scott and Marcy and Mark and Viney, Craig Edwards, the Farleys, the Pierce, you know, just so many of these families who were here. And I raised my kids in the church here. You know, they were baptized here. You know, just nurtured, you know, and, and just growing. And through that, I, I saw God at work in my life. And my first mission works was from this church through Child Evangelism Fellowship. I taught five-day clubs, and I just grew so much. That's where I first began to learn how to pray, to emphasize prayer in my life because I was out there teaching the kids. And so if I were to teach the kids how to memorize the verse, I said, I better memorize the verse myself. You know, and, it, it, and I started, it never left me, you know. I mean, one of the favorite ones, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusted in me. That's why I first began to memorize scripture, and it has taken me this far. And I just love it to help me to develop my relationship with God. You know, I remember, you know, President Reagan, I really understood the pastor when he was talking about God is sovereign, you know, and that he is overall. And when Todd shared that verse with me, with us, you know, about God is sovereign and he puts in the place whoever he wants to put in the place. And I thought about Daniel when he said that. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belongs to him. It is he who changes the time and the epics. He removes kings and he establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. You know, it's just moved in my heart. And as I study the word, you know, it's like God has really sifted my heart toward him. As a matter of fact, I don't want to do anything in my life at this point without fusing it through the eyes of God. Because I know when I look at it from a worldly perspective under the sun, you know, man, there's so many clouds I can't see clearly. And I'm just, you know, I could make mistakes and, and just go into a different direction. That's why I try to live my life carefully as I have been trained through this church, through Campus Crusade for Christ, on how to walk in the power of the Spirit of God. I, I do that every day. And that's how I live. I want to live through the power of Jesus Christ in my life. You know, and when we read this in the Old Testament, in Ecclesiastes, and in other books in the Old Testament, you know, it is nothing like for me to read something in the Old Testament and for God to confirm it to me in the New. And I said, oh, God, who is like you? You know, my whole thing is I just want to sit still and, and wait up on the Lord, just like I've been trained. And like I said, it had been good to me that way. You know, so when I read these words of Solomon, you know, in verse 11, the words of wise men are like goes, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. Man, I ponder that. I sit still, and I want to get some vision from God. Because when I think of goads, you know, I think of the Apostle Paul at his conversion, you know. And I think about the Holy Spirit because that's what goads mean. You know, I mean, man, I love to be goaded by the Holy Spirit and for God to 
to lead me and say, hey, walk in this way. This is the right way. Yeah, you know, I just love it. You know, and when I read something like well-driven nails, I just sit still and I, I, I meditate on that. I think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, I mean, you're talking about some well-driven nails. I mean, in the hands of Jesus, up on the cross, you know. I mean, yeah, to me, that was well-driven. I think about the Christ, you know, who gave his life for us all. And as I pound it, I think about it, and I think about us, that we are all different, and we all have different opinions. But to me, that's okay. But I know this, that we are all guided by the same shepherd. You know, and don't we all say? We do say, the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. Give these two guys a hand for that. Whether it's a goad or whether it's a well-driven nail, the purpose is the same. It's to draw you more deeply and intimately in a walk with Jesus Christ. To hold firmly to that truth of who God is and what he's accomplished for you on your behalf. For our good and for his glory. So that, that's the purpose. Look at verse 12 in our passage as we finish up this morning. Solomon goes on in verse 12 and he says, But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The conclusion... When all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act of ju of ju to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or whether it is evil. And Solomon begins first with a warning, a warning not to read too many books. <laughs> we need to hear that in our world today, because there is no shortage of information that is out there. But we need to understand that every single book that has ever been written is one person's opinion. Opinions that are based on limited understanding and flawed, uh, and flawed perspectives. That would be true if I were to write a book. It would be based on a limited understanding and a flawed perspective. There is only one book ever written that is absolute truth. So be careful about basing your convictions on what other people say. If you want to stand firm, then base your convictions on what God has to say. The Bible is the only source for absolute truth. Everything else is just someone's opinion. And Solomon wants to make it simple for us so that when we are looking at that book of absolute truth, he kind of narrows it down to two very important truths. He says, learn how to fear God and obey his commandments. Solomon says that this is, in fact, a universal truth that applies, as he says there at the end of verse 13, to every single person. See, this is the summit of wisdom that Solomon has been leading us to all along. Don't worry about money or pleasure or wisdom or success. Don't worship money or wisdom or pleasure or success. Learn to worship God. 
All those other things leave you empty. And only God can make you complete. Don't be a slave to selfish desires. Find freedom through obedience. Taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed are those who take refuge in Him. Only a life of worship-filled obedience will satisfy your soul. Everything else will leave you longing for something more. And I want you to understand here, when we, when we talk about fearing God and obeying His commandments, it's important to understand that the Lord wants us to obey His commandments because that is how He leads us to our highest good. God is glorified when we experience all the goodness that He built within His design. God is exalted when we flourish under His care. God is worshipped when we establish our lives on His truths and we stand strong within them. God is good. And everything that He's done in our lives is ultimately intended to prepare us for one specific day. Solomon describes that in verse 14. For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything, whether it is hidden, whether it is good, or whether it is evil. That final verse is what brings meaning and purpose to all of life. You see, if justice doesn't prevail, if the the good and the evil receive the the same reward, then Solomon's right. It's meaningless. If, If life under this sun is all there is, it's vanity. In the absence of a righteous judge, there is no meaning and purpose in life. Our actions only matter if we are held accountable for our actions. See, in the end, the final message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters. In fact, the final message of Ecclesiastes is that everything matters. Everything matters. Ecclesiastes is a call to uh, abandon selfish independence. It invites us, like Solomon, to take an honest look at our lives, to, to recognize sinful choices, to acknowledge our limited understanding and trust in an infinite God. God is speaking through Ecclesiastes to call you to himself. He understands the universal truth of life in this world and how it leaves us empty. That's why we search for something more, and he's trying to lead us to where we find it. Because here's the key. If we choose to live independent from God now, we will experience vanity for eternity. If we choose to live independent from God now, we will experience vanity for eternity. Separated from the one who gives us life, eternally longing for something more. The message of Ecclesiastes is inviting us to something more. And here's something I don't want you to miss. It's inviting us to something more right now. Not just sometime in the future, something more under the sun. The message is a gift because it ultimately points us 
to Jesus Christ because on the summit of Solomon's mountain, you will find the cross of Jesus Christ. That is where God's wisdom and grace is put on display because we stand innocent. Listen to this. We stand innocent on that day of judgment when we kneel before the cross because we recognize that Jesus Christ took the judgment for our sins upon himself so that we might be found innocent in the eyes of God. Believing that Jesus is the only way for our hearts to be satisfied. The faith in Christ is the only thing that brings meaning and purpose to life in this world. It sets us free from selfish vanity. It gives us a a new life. It gives us a, a living hope. When God placed eternity in our hearts, he had Jesus Christ in mind because he knew that the eternal Christ is the only one who could fill the eternal void placed in the hearts of every man and woman ever created. Only he can satisfy what our heart longs for most. Hidden within Ecclesiastes is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, that's the diamond that we've been digging for all along. It reminds me of the New Testament when Jesus is telling parables and there's a couple that are similar to one another. He gives one parable and he tells about a man who found a treasure in a field. And recognizing how valuable the treasure was, he went and sold everything he owned in order to buy the field in order to have the treasure. And similarly, he talked about a merchant who was always in search for pearls. And then one day he found the pearl of great price. It was of such great value that he too went and sold everything he had so that he could obtain that most valuable treasure. Well, Solomon is leading us to that most valuable treasure. Jesus is the treasure that we're searching for. It reminds me of that song we used to sing that talked about, Lord, you are more precious than silver. You're more costly than gold. You're more beautiful than diamonds. Every, nothing I desire compares with you. Nothing I desire compares with you. Let me finish with this passage in the Colossians. Listen very closely. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. He says, my goal. And, and I think Solomon would echo these words. And if you asked him, so why did you write Ecclesiastes? Here's what he would tell you. My goal is that you may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that you might have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely, that you may know Jesus Christ. And here's how he's described. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That is the treasure that our heart longs for most. And like we see in those parables, there is nothing in this world that compares So we can, in good conscience, be able to reject all those things in which we try to find worth and value and purpose and meaning and turn to Jesus Christ alone and find that that is all we need to find worth and value and purpose and meaning in him. He is the treasure. And 
when we look at Ecclesiastes, that's ultimately what he wants us to find. So as we close this morning, let's close with a, a song that takes that treasure, that meaning, that purpose, and, and turns it into a prayer so that we can close out Ecclesiastes and worship as Solomon would have attended. So if you would, go ahead and stand as we close in song. Well, I sure pray that as we've gone through Ecclesiastes, you've been increasingly convinced in your heart that Jesus is the treasure that your heart longs for most, and that you can be completely satisfied in him. And here's the good news. The good news is that treasure and all the fullness of joy and the promises that have been made are made available to you right now, life under the sun. It can infuse all those things into where you live, in your marriage, in your family, in your job. It brings meaning and purpose in ways that nothing else can. So even as we go into the Christmas season, I want you to embrace the gift of God given to you through Jesus Christ right now. He is with us. He is for us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And he is the treasure that our heart longs for most. Let's pray together, Lord. Thank you for the time in Ecclesiastes. Thank you for the struggle of Solomon just searching in so many places. Thank you for him writing that to protect us from having to go down the same roads with the same results. If we can learn from his example, we don't have to repeat his mistakes. We can go straight to the end and see the summit of wisdom that is found through faith in Christ alone, that God, you are the infinite wisdom and that we can trust in you. So I pray that we go to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes right here this morning and we decide right now that's how we will live our lives. Faith and trust in you, your infinite wisdom, your eternal goodness, your faithfulness and mercies that are new every morning. We live them day by day. Father, what a treasure, what a gift. May we embrace it. We pray this in your name. Amen.